Welcome to The Radical Therapist. This is your host, Chris Hoff, and we are now at episode number 108. And we have a great one for you today. We have the legendary Lois Holzman here today for to visiting the, the podcast, and I'm really excited about that. I know there might be some folks out there that think, you know, uh, critique, the critique of, you know, the medical model in our field is kind of a new phenomenon, but, you know, this has been going on for quite some time, and, and, and Lois just happens to be one of the OGs of, like, critiquing the medical model uh, in our field and, um, also doing some really creative and innovative things, uh, with her project, the Eastside Institute and, uh, her performance activism stuff. And so I think you're going to get a kick out of this whole interview and you're going to learn a lot. And I, and I highly encourage you to go check out her work, her links and the show notes and, um, yeah, and get it and be a part of some of that stuff if you want to be. So, before we get to Lois, I, I just have a quick uh, ask. Would you be willing, please, to rate and review the show on whatever platform you're listening to this on? If it's iTunes, please go rate and review the show. Spotify, whatever. But give us a rate. That's how we get out in front of people. And I've been kind of lax on asking folks to do that for us. So if you'd be willing to just right now, look, you just <laughs> hit the stars, give us a review. That would be great. I would appreciate it. And it just kind of bumps us up and gets us maybe in front of a few more people. So if you like, you know, what we're doing here and the people that are coming on and the ideas that are being presented here and you want more people to discover them, please help me out with uh, rating and reviewing the show. So, ah, okay, let's get to our guest. Dr. Lois Holzman is a developmental psychologist, activist, researcher, and co-founder of the Eastside Institute an international center for the study of social therapeutics and performance activism. Her books include Psychological Investigations, A Clinician's Guide to Social Therapy, and The Overweight Brain, How Our Obsession with Knowing Keeps Us from Getting Smart Enough to Make a Better World. Lois is also chief organizer of the Performing the World Global Conference and heads the faculty for the International Class Residency Program. Her most recent project is a different kind of advice column titled Dear Developmentalist for anyone grappling with developmental qualms and quagmires, and we'll talk about that today. So without further ado, let's meet Dr. Lois Holzman. Hi, Lois. Welcome to the Radical Therapist Podcast. Thank you, Chris. It's great to be here. Great to have you. Uh, uh, I, I've known of you and your work for a long time uh, around social therapeutics and such, and so it's, it's a great pleasure to have you here finally on the podcast. And um, I guess my first question for you, it's kind of a multi-parter, but in 1996, you wrote a book with Fred Newman where you called psychology a scam. And, and I'm wondering if you could share a bit about that, your history with Fred Newman, and the development of social therapeutics. Absolutely. Uh, the book you're referring to uh, from 1996 is Unscientific Psychology, a uh, cultural performatory approach to human life. And um, Fred and I wrote that. I think it was our second book together. And um, it is a, a book that takes on the philosophical underpinnings of current mainstream, if you will, psychology, as well as delving deeper into some of the myths of psychology 
that we identified as the myth of development, the myth of the individual, and the myth of mental illness. And um, we, I've used that book recently in um, long-term courses that I've taught, and uh, it is so fascinating because it's incredibly relevant, and psychology has moved in various directions so that some of the things we say about it are no longer the case. Uh, for example, psychology has has uh, tried to reinvent itself so many times um, going into the field of health and into hospitals, um, going into um, trying to cozy up to neuroscience and bring the brain into the study of psychology, but it's never lost its incredibly um, effective ability to make things up and then sell them to the public and have us believe they are real, whatever that means, <laughs> exist, if you will, and forget or never were told that psychology made them up. Hmm. So in a way, the scam is psychology takes credit and gets more and more inculcated into the popular culture, not just in the United States and Western so-called countries, but all over the world. Uh, for example, diagnosis, uh, addiction, uh, empathy, uh, you name it. Right, right. And can you give us a, our listeners a, that might not be familiar with social therapeutics and kind of that kind of a brief history of what it is and how you came, sure. how it came to be and that kind of thing? Sure. Um, Social therapy is something that Fred Newman invented uh, way back in the early 1970s. And it, it, it is and was a therapeutic approach that did not begin with the isolated individual, but understood that um, it is society that makes us sick. And so you have to change the society. And originally social therapy was practiced um, primarily among community and political activists. It quickly spread because it was so effective. It's a group therapy. And what it focuses on is the group itself creating itself as a place where people can get emotional support and grow emotionally. Um, it spread in the 1990s to uh, education, to healthcare, to organizational development, all different areas. And so we call it a social therapeutic methodology or social therapeutic approach where the focus is on development, meaning the transformation of our emotionality, if you will, or the transformation of how we understand and do learning, or the transformation of what it is to be health. And it combines the ability of people to play and perform and transform themselves through doing what they don't know how to do and a, a, an emphasis on the activity of speaking to each other rather than the content of speaking to each other. So the group, whether it's an educational group or a training group or a social therapy group or a coaching group, its job is to create itself as an ensemble. Mm, wonderful. And how did you fall into it? How did you find Fred Newman? And <laughs> get a, uh... Um way, way back, I had just uh, gotten my PhD in developmental psychology from Columbia University, and I was working as a postdoc at the Rockefeller University. 
um, in a very fascinating project. Uh, it was called the um, for for uh, cognitive development. It was a critique of a practical critique of of cognitive psychology, especially the experimental way of doing such such work and finding out how kids learn, how kids think, et cetera, et cetera. Hmm. And um, I also met somebody who invited me to a three-part series of lectures that Fred Newman was doing called um, Marxism and Mental Health. And since I knew nothing about either topic <laughs> <laughs> or about Fred, I decided to go. And um, I was so fascinated that this man was so passionate, was so intellectually erudite, and was so, if you will, direct and working class. And he was offering a course on science and society. I took that course, and um, then he invited several people, including myself, to build an institute, and, and the rest is wonderful history. Yeah, wonderful. Which kind of leads us into, or leads me into my next question. Uh, you have a long history of doing something that you describe as other than psychology, and I'm wondering if you could say more about that. Sure. Uh, since psychology is biomedical, based in the physic, based and um, emulating the physical sciences in all kinds of ways, and begins with the behavior of individuals. I call what we're doing other than psychology because we reject all of that. It is a cultural approach. Uh, it is a group-oriented approach. It is not, it's a cultural approach. So what that looks like is, I've always been so curious as a, someone trained in developmental psychology that psychology begins with the un begins with the un um, questioned premise that we are individuals first and become socialized and part of what it means to become socialized is to have your inner self bump up against others inner selves mm -hmm. and it always made much more sense to me to start the other way that we are social and we become socialized to be individuated. So I could describe social therapeutics and all the work that we do with hundreds of people around the world who um, picked up some of our work uh, and added it to their own is to help people give expression to their sociality, to the fact that they are not isolated individuals and from hundreds of people who do this work around the world in such different ways, it seems clear that building community is emotionally growthful and healing, that you learn better if you're involved in building community, that your health is better, et cetera, et cetera. And of course, we're not the only ones who think this or who even practice it, but but it grows out of uh, this particular understanding of, of the sociality of human beings. Wonderful. Uh, so as someone who practices a non-dualist spirituality, I'm, I'm interested in your critique of dualisms and dichotomies that run rampant in psychology, and I'm, I'm wondering if you could say more about that. 
Oh, I would love to. <laughs> so I've already mentioned one, the individual and the group or the individual and society. Uh, that's a dichotomy. We are certainly, I, my view is that these relationships, uh, I'll, I'll name a few others before I say what I think they are. <laughs> so there's good and evil. There is nature and nurture. Uh, there is body-mind. There is cause-effect, etc. There's inside-outside. There's person-environment. All of those in psychology and in society in general, and in, in our culture at least, are pitted against each other. My um, understanding of them is much, if you will, dialectical. Uh, that they are not opposites, that they are not either or, that you don't have to choose, and that all these arguments within psychology and the social sciences and education, etc., about how much of it is nature and how much of it is nurture, etc., etc., are um, are stupid. They they're they're unnecessary. If you start with the fact that, or a fact for me, that there is no brain, if you will, without the environment, not only of the body, but of the world and of history, then you don't have to just decide how much of this is from this part of your brain or not. Of course it's involved. Is that helpful? Yes. For the very, question? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Thank you. Uh, you also critique, I think this is interesting, you also critique the disorder and scandal of psychology. And I'm wondering, uh, what are these as you see it? Um, well, the scandal, uh, one big scandal was the whole um, issue of torture mm. uh, that got a lot of play. I, I can't remember how many years ago, um, maybe three or four. And the, the support for uh, torture and the use of psychologists in various horrible situations um, mm. as part of what happened after 9-11. Um, I would say the disorder and the scandal is what we, is similar to the scam, <laughs> mm -hmm. the scam of it. Um, and like many other aspects of um, our, our culture, psychology is very quick to pick up on the latest thing and and lay claim to it. Um, I mentioned empathy uh, a, a little while ago. That's one of them. Uh, um, wellness. Mm -hmm. it, it kind of swell. It's like this, I don't know, I don't know what kind of animal but with a huge mouth and it just swallows things. Oh, we can do that resilience. Uh, mm -hmm. And it's things trauma that's that's a big one right now mm. and so you know who's who's laying claim to owning trauma psychology is trying very very hard and there are all these alternative i would say alternative psychologies alternative spiritualities alternative uh somatic mm -hmm. approaches that are uh, vying for it and it will swallow them up or try to swallow them up i don't know if it'll succeed mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. I, I've, I've been thinking about trauma, like you mentioned. 
I'm thinking about extractive capitalism and then trauma being kind of psychology, you know, do, doing that kind of same thing that it's extractive capitalism. We're extracting trauma from the past for profit or something like that. Like the term, exactly. Yeah. 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 Which is not to say that no one has benefited from some of the sure, psychology sure. that, yeah. you know, it just not, it's not going to get us out of the, uh, the morass yeah. and paralysis that we're, we are in right now. Yeah. Well, psychology always has that. I, I really appreciate your critique because I think it's always has that quick fix mentality, like whatever's coming around the corner and I'll, we'll repackage it as a quick fix and it never is. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay, uh, you have a new project, and uh, and listeners, uh, there will be a link to this in the show notes, but your latest project is titled The Developmentalist, A Space for Everyday Developmental Dilemmas, and I'm wondering if you could share with us your intentions behind this new project. And um, Absolutely, what, yeah. I'd love to. Um, so I call myself a developmentalist, and um, our faculty, staff, and uh, 200 associates around the world uh, uh, also do. They practice helping people create environments for them to transform qualitatively their emotionality and that of their community, their learning, their physicality, whatever it is that needs Trent, qualitative transformation. So that's what I mean by development. And being a developmentalist is someone who supports people who are doing that, who are inviting people to create environments where they can grow, where they can go beyond, where they can see new solutions, where they can exercise their amazing creativity that has been stifled. Um, and so I do that in so many different ways in writing and teaching and traveling all over the world etc and in supervising our therapists and coaches etc but um i realized that i wasn't into writing a big book right now and what i was really into was talking to people and helping them uh take a step whatever that step might be but to see new steps so mm -hmm. I thought, and, and people would be calling me or writing me and asking me um, for some advice, help. And so I decided, well, let me see if I can write a column, short pieces, but based on people's letters to me on what they um, want some help with. And the first few were explicitly from people who had some sense of what I meant by development. And getting more and more letters from people who have no idea what a developmental dilemma is, but are trusting that I will give them some good advice anyway. <laughs> so it's, it was yet another way to reach out and spread the word and have people have an opportunity to rethink, reimagine, relook at what their issue is with their barking dog, with their husband, with their, um, workmates who uh, are in another country and they're not sure how to deal with, with the cultural barriers on Zoom um, with their kids and the um, attention that social media and internet game playing has on them and how is that, it, it, they're 
parents are racked with what to do about this. Mm -hmm. um, so that they may not have seen it as a developmental dilemma, but I try to refashion it and ask some questions in my letters and have a little fun sometimes with it too, mm -hmm. to, um, to have them take a different look at it, always from the relational, social, what are we doing together? How should we do this family uh, perspective? Wonderful. Uh, which kind of leads me to my next question. You talked about developmental di dilemmas. You've written regularly about people's experience of feeling stuck in our day-to-day -day lives. And I think for anybody in the therapy world, that's you know a, some, a problem that often follows people in to the work that we're doing. And I'm wondering, what, what's your solution or how do you, how do you approach that? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't know. Well, that's very good quest follow-up question. What's your solution? Because I think the key to getting unstuck, one key to getting unstuck is not seeing that you have a problem, not looking for a solution. You are not looking for a solution. You are in a place in your life where you may be in great pain. You may be in great fear. Um, you may be paralyzed. You don't know what to do. Why would you know what to do? That's the first thing is you can peel away the layers of the onion that are philosophically, if you will, keeping you stuck, Let's, which has everything to do with the economic, the political, the this, that, all the, all the actual things in your life that are going wrong. Mm -hmm. But seeing it as a problem to be solved, and seeing as stuckness as being alone with it and seeking a solution by yourself as if there is a solution is a major part of what keeps us stuck. Having someone to talk to therapeutically, whether that's an individual or um, a, a group, can help you, and social therapeutic approach helps in Asking the questions of, how do you know that? How do you know that? How does it feel talking to me about it? Helping people see that they're in the world, that they're in relationship, however they're talking to me. I'm not a therapist, but however they're talking to me is relevant. What's the impact on me? What's the impact on you from in talking to me and saying those words, how can we do this? How can I be helpful? Um, that That's just like a start. Getting unstuck is, and it's it doesn't happen. It's not, oh, okay, I don't have any problems. No, I didn't say that. <laughs> I said, let's work on how, what an alternative might be to how we can talk about this. Wonderful, yeah. What is the status of the Eastside Institute now, uh, that institute you created with Fred Newman? Mm -hmm. what, what are you up to? Oh, my goodness. Um, well, we had, uh, as I said earlier, the therapeutic approach that Fred developed and that is still practiced widely um, kind of branched out because people found it helpful in health work, in um, education, all kinds of uh, environments. And we have kind of merged 
our critique of psychology, our practical critique and our group building approach with having discovered the value of play and performance. Uh, performance as in theatrical performance when you take it off the stage and involve non-actors uh, in, in creating plays together. So our work has branched in a way to, to synthesize what we call performance activism, which mm -hmm. is a growing, emerging, informal network of many thousands of people around the world who use theater and other creative arts to help people create community and to grow and develop and to deal with all kinds of social issues. And the social therapeutic approach of group building and focus on transformative development. Um, so that has led us uh, into areas, um, one of the most recent, maybe three or four years old, is uh, the area of aging and dementia. Mm. So one of our um, faculty developed, uh, two of our faculty developed a group um, called Reimagining Dementia, which has like 800 people in it around the world wow. who, who are uh, challenging the tragedy narrative of dementia that you lose everything. They're not a person anymore, uh, and many of them are, are are advocates of and practitioners of some kind of performatory approach, creative arts. Um, another thing that we have done is uh, um, we began during the pandemic. Uh, we're partnered with a group of one of our faculty started called the Global Play Brigade, which is. Um, by now, um, it didn't stop when lockdown ended, but it started to, to, at the request of a Chinese colleague, an improviser who asked if uh, he could have some help in doing improv groups online on Zoom for people in China who were locked down. And it, I don't know the numbers, but it, they've done like 450 workshops a year, they have hundreds of volunteers. There's, uh, Global Play Brigade India, Global Play Brigade Latin America. Uh, there will be Global Play Brigade Japan because since the lockdown ended in most countries, they can do in-person events as well and then come together several times a year to offer on Zoom to everybody in the world a, uh, a, a play shops, as they call them. And and there's within that one uh, an emotional support group on WhatsApp for young people uh, to get some get some support started by young people and one of our faculty um, in Nigeria who had been involved in the uh, fighting the police violence that um, goes on and needed some support and now it's spread to all different ages and all different kinds of people. So those are some of the newer projects. I have been steeped in conversations with different interesting people and thinkers like um, Bayo Akamalafi, uh, the um, Nigerian, I don't know what to call him. He's so, he's like this amazing thinker and uh, speaking a lot around the, the world lately. And he and I are um, just transcribed our conversations over several months on trauma and empathy, and we're going to publish it in some way. Um, 
uh, is there. It is that a Sugatra Mitra, the man known for the hole in the wall, the, the completely different educational approach. Um, uh, he and I have been in dialogue, uh, uh, and the, um, another person that comes to mind is, um, someone much less well known, uh, Richard Gilman Alpowski, who wrote a book called The Communism of Love. And so it's like these different areas, people who are thinkers who are challenging from very different perspectives, the same kind of thing. They may not call it psychology, mm -hmm. but they are calling it what are the structures and what are the uh, institutional constraints on so much more opening, so many more possibilities for how to live our lives together. Mm -hmm. That's great. Um, and listeners, I will provide a link to the East Side Institute in the show notes as well. So if you can want to get involved in some of these projects or reach out to Lois, you can do that too. Uh, you did mention some thinkers. I, you know, I do have two more questions. And one of mm -hmm. my questions I like to ask all the guests on the show is what books, films, ideas, thinkers are capturing your attention these days? I know you already gave me three, but... Oh, right. <laughs> is, there yeah, any, those are... <laughs> is there anybody <laughs> else that you would add to the list? Or is there anything else that you're finding interesting these days or inspiring you? Or Oh, uh, so much is, is inspiring. It's hard to keep up with it. Um, I'm, I, uh, like I love playing for change, oh, yeah. the organization and the website that, um, not only, you know, trains, teaches, whatever involves young people in mostly in poor, very poor countries around the world in, in playing music and singing and so on, but that puts out such incredible videos of people around the world. They take a a little snippet of someone in New Orleans and a little snippet of someone in Malawi and and make this beautiful thing. And so that inspires me continually. And if I'm feeling a little down, I just go to YouTube and find a plan for change video. Um, and uh, I have been, I watch, you know, schlocky television and I enjoy <laughs> that a lot. And then once in a while I watch something we've been watching the, uh, a Ken Burns type film, but it's not by Ken Burns on the West. And the uh, I, I'm learning so much about the the American West and how it was settled, and then uh, incredible, incredible violence. Um, but in in detail, you know, obviously, I know the violence, but I didn't I didn't know the detail. And to see that is is very inspiring and upsetting and um that's it yeah okay um and my final question lois how how can people find you your work um reach out to you all that kind of stuff great well there is the east site institute website which you said you were going to uh, yep. put in the notes i have a website uh called loisholzman.org and it um occasionally put up something I call um, words to ponder, mm -hmm. some quote from someone that I really like. And, and uh, I enjoy it a lot. And I hear that, that um, people who go to my site really like it too. Uh, and that's just what it is. I don't explain, I don't describe, I just put up these words. Um, I had been writing for Psychology Today and some of those 
essays I think your listeners would really, really like. I have not written for quite a while, um, but there's probably a hundred um, blog posts there. And very occasionally for Mad in America, hmm. uh, also, which I highly recommend to yeah. any listener. And um, and you can always email me. I, I am a very good correspondent. I <laughs> am very responsive. That's L. H-O-L-Z-M-A-N at eastsideinstitute.org. Wonderful. Lois, thank you very much for coming on the show. I really appreciate you making the time. And um, yeah, just thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Pleasure. And um, I'm sure we have tons more to talk about. And maybe I hope we get to meet each other in person someday. I hope so. Thank you, Lois. All right, that's our show, and as I said earlier, please go check out the links in the show notes. Get you know if you want to find out more about the work, Lois, and um, really everybody. There's a lot of people involved all over the world, but uh, so go check out those links, and you can always find me at the Radical Therapist on Instagram, uh, Dr. Chris Hoff on Instagram, and. I have a website, but it hasn't been updated in a little while, so you might want to check that out. But I'm on Facebook. We have a do have I do have a Facebook page, so go check out the Radical Therapist on Facebook. And yeah, and you can see what I'm up to over there. So, as always, thanks for listening. Um, I hope you're finding these helpful. And yeah, peace. <laughs>